Lord, help us to have a heart to obey. Stretch our faith. Help us to be doers of your word. Change us, O Lord. In Christ's name, amen. In that video clip, Jeremiah chose to obey his calling to be a witness of Jesus Christ and faced opposition he didn't expect. And from an unlikely source, a hospital chaplain of all people. After being terminated and waiting several months for a new job, he was tempted to remain silent about his faith in Jesus. But instead, he obeyed and continued to be a witness to the patients he served. Faith that pleases God expresses itself in obedience, even when obedience doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective. Continuing our series, Heroes of the Faith, from Hebrews 11, today we're going to consider the example of Noah. Noah also shows us that faith that pleases God expresses itself in obedience, even when obedience does not make sense from a worldly perspective. Turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews eleven seven. The text says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The story of Noah and the flood is one of the most widely known narratives in the Old Testament, thanks to years of Sunday school lessons, not to mention numerous fictional and speculative, if not downright wrong, portrayals in film. (laughs) Beyond being a favored story for children, the narrative is actually a pivotal event in God's grand story of redemption. It portrays the depths of human depravity, the holiness and grace of God, and the meaning of biblical faith. Some theologians suggest that Noah and the ark are types or prophetic pictures of Christ and the salvation he brings. But modern minds struggle with the historicity of the account, thanks to our culture's bias against anything supernatural. But King David, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Ezekiel, the apostle Peter, and even Jesus treated the Genesis account as fact. So let's begin this morning by reminding ourselves of the details of that Genesis account. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to start reading at verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. 
And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. In the verses that follow, God gave Noah very specific instructions for how to build that ark, which was likely the length of one and a half football fields, or 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. He was also given specific instructions regarding the animals that were to go on the ark. And Genesis attests that Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. The rest of Genesis 7 and 8 tell of the massive cataclysmic flood that God sent to judge the earth, saving only Noah and his family and the animals that God had commanded. Noah was a bright spot of faith and obedience, fully following the Lord's commands, even though they may not have made sense to him or others. In an otherwise dark and depraved generation of people pursuing evil and living for themselves. The text says he found favor with God. He was righteous. He was blameless. And he walked with God. Thus the author of Hebrews commended Noah as one whose faith pleased God. So what are the characteristics of Noah's faith that can instruct us as we seek to live by faith today? Well, let's return to Hebrews 11.7 as we highlight four characteristics of Noah's faith. Four characteristics of Noah's faith. And the first one is this. Noah's faith worked. Noah's faith worked. Hebrews 11.7 teaches that by faith Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Noah's faith translated into action, an active obedience to the commands God gave him. In his commentary on Hebrews, John MacArthur wrote, Abel illustrates the worship of faith and Enoch the walk of faith. Noah, perhaps more than any other person in history, illustrates the work of faith, obedience. And James taught that genuine faith works. James 2, 14 through 17 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Just as Paul warned the Galatians about false works, meaning works that we use to try to earn favor from God, James warns about a false faith, meaning faith that professes belief in God but does not result in right actions. 
Genuine faith in God leads to an unconditional yes to whatever he commands us to do. Our works do not earn a right standing with God, but they reflect a right standing with God. Genuine faith works. To the religious leaders who failed to heed the message of John the Baptist, Jesus taught a parable that stresses the importance of our actual choices beyond our professions and our religious pedigrees. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32, Jesus said, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Jesus' point to this parable is that obedience to God is the fruit of one's faith. What one believes is shown by one's response to God's word. Therefore, commentator George Guthrie defines the faith that's described in Hebrews 11 this way. Listen to this definition. Faith is confidence that results in action carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes, but always the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward. Listen to that again. Faith is confidence that results in action carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes, but always the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward. Hebrews 11.7 also teaches that Noah was warned by God Concerning events is yet unseen. Remember back at the beginning of the chapter that faith is the conviction of things not seen. Imagine Noah receiving the command to build the ark. Commentators believe that Noah lived in Mesopotamia, the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, a good hundred miles away from the ocean. God tells him to build this massive boat because he's going to bring rain down on the earth and destroy creation with a flood. Rain, flooding. These are things that Noah has never experienced before. No one in their right minds would build a boat of this size so far from the ocean shore. Yet because of his relationship with God, he gets to work. He does not need past experience of a flood because he has a present experience of God's character and power. Like Enoch, Noah walked with God. When you really walk with God, then God's saying it is enough. 
He always knows best. He always does right. The only right response is yes, Lord. Yes to his will. Yes to his way. Yes to his commands. Hebrews eleven seven further teaches that Noah obeyed in reverent fear. In reverent fear. Guthrie explains that this reverent fear means that Noah paid close attention reverent attention to God's instructions. Out of great respect and awe for who God is, Noah obeyed all that the Lord commanded him. God's word overrides concerns about reputation and esteem. Faith that pleases God expresses itself in obedience, even when obedience does not make sense from a worldly perspective. So what about you? Is your faith working? I'm not telling you to try harder, but instead to believe better. Are you willing to take God at his word and keep saying that unconditional yes to him, no matter what he asks? Maybe you need to stop procrastinating, stop making excuses, stop talking yourself out of it, and simply obey. He will give you what you need to say yes. Noah's faith worked. Second, Noah's faith persisted. Noah's faith persisted. Back in Genesis, in Genesis 6, 3, it states, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in, in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. While some scholars suggest that this verse means that God was limiting the lifespan of humans to not exceed 120 years of age, others suggest that God was giving 120 years until the flood. And if that latter interpretation is correct, then that may mean that it took Noah that many years to build the ark. Noah's faith persisted then, through many years of waiting. Think of day after day constructing the ark, often alone, with only his relationship with God and the warnings God gave to sustain him. In fact, there are many examples of faith persisting through waiting in the Old Testament. Abraham waited 25 years from the promise of a son to the fulfillment of that promise when Isaac was born. Jacob worked seven years to marry Rachel, but was tricked into marrying Leah instead, and then worked another seven years to marry Rachel. Joseph waited in prison for vindication for a good 10 to 15 years. And David waited about 15 years from his anointing by Samuel to actually being crowned king over Israel. God will often give us periods of waiting to grow and strengthen our faith. And while the waiting period for Jacob just felt like a few days to him, the others were called to wait in the midst of trials and difficult circumstances. What must Abraham and Sarah have felt as they watched their childbearing years dwindle away without the fulfillment of God's promise? What must Joseph have felt like as he spent day after day in prison for a crime he did not commit? What must David have felt like 
as he ran for his life from King Saul. And what must Noah have felt like while he worked day after day for many years on an ark amid the jeering and opposition of those around him? While the scriptures do not specifically mention the jeering and ridicule that Noah most certainly would have received for building such a massive boat so far inland, we can certainly imagine it, can't we? And regardless of how many years it actually took him to construct the ark, it had to be an all-consuming project. He still had a family to support and provide for. I cannot imagine how lonely the work must have felt at times, particularly if the opposition is like anything we can imagine. Trusting God may not be easy for any of us, but it is that much harder in the face of substantial opposition. The opportunities for temptation and discouragement abound when we are taking a stand for God alone. In the summers of 1990 and 91, I served with a Christian music ministry called the Continental Singers. Get a look at those hairdos, will you? I've shared stories from this ministry before. One of the most significant blessings of those 10-week summer tours was the privilege to live in close-knit Christian community with brothers and sisters who loved Jesus and desired to follow and serve him. As a young believer, I treasured the insulation that these summers provided from temptation and worldly influence. Even while we were sharing the gospel through music and one-on-one conversations with non-believers every day, we still had this experience of deep, robust Christian community that made it easy to live for Jesus. It was even easier to witness because we were all doing it together and encouraging each other along the way. The summers would eventually come to an end and we would return home to our families and lives. For me, that meant returning to my very secular college campus. Now, I love my alma mater and the education that I received there, but it was hard to live as a follower of Jesus in that environment. Thankfully, I did have some Christian fellowship through a small campus group and my little Bible-believing country church outside of town. But there was much antagonism on my campus to the gospel and anything Christian. Sin was rampant, even celebrated, so temptation was fierce. It was harder to witness without the support of my brothers and sisters. By God's grace holding on to me, I kept pursuing Christ and trusting him to use me. But the challenges were numerous as were my prayers for repentance. Now my faith persisted in a hostile environment because God had become so real to me as I walked with him. As I pressed into my communion with him, he kept me and he strengthened me. Like Enoch, Genesis 6-9 says that Noah walked with God. Noah's persistent faith was not because he was some kind of superhero, but because he was reliant upon God and he was intimately connected to him. 
If you are struggling to persevere in trusting God, particularly because you feel alone in going against the flow at work or at home or at school, the answer is not to beat yourself up and try harder to have more faith. Remember that our amount of faith is less important than the object of our faith. Rather than try harder, get closer. Pursue intimacy with Christ. Walk with him and he will empower you to stand firm even when that means standing alone. The temptation we can all face when working through a series like this one on faith is to feel super guilty about our struggles with trust and doubt, to be more discouraged than encouraged by the examples presented in Hebrews 11 and to give up on our growth. We can be tempted for, to settle for less than the abundant, victorious, faith-filled life that the New Testament describes. The faith of these heroes of Hebrews 11, like Noah, persisted not because they were so much better at it than us. Even the description of Noah in Genesis 6-9, he was called blameless. That didn't mean Noah was sinless. It meant rather that he was spiritually mature and continuing to grow in character and faith. And as you read on in the Genesis narrative, Genesis 9 tells the story of Noah getting drunk and laying shamefully naked in his tent. And this event happened after he had experienced God's powerful deliverance through the flood. Noah needed God's grace and forgiveness every bit as much as we do today. Yet as you consider the trajectory of his life, he exhibited a persevering faith that led him to take God at his word and build an ark to save his family, even when others around him were rebelling against God and likely ridiculing him for his faith. In describing what the author of Hebrews is doing in Hebrews 11, George Guthrie put it this way. The author's whole program is to call struggling, sometimes bumbling Christians to live boldly by faith. He calls us, with all our habits and hang-ups, warts and worries, to action. We are called to step out of step with the world, hop up on the stage of history, and take our place in God's roll call of the faithful. Of course, we are inadequate, but so have been all others who have evidenced the grace of God. It would not be grace otherwise. God has placed you. Has God placed you in a period of waiting? Or has God placed you in a, a, a period of spiritual opposition? Or maybe both as you hope for the fulfillment of God's promises to you. Lean into Christ. Let him strengthen you and sustain you. Be encouraged by Noah. He was not an unachievable example of faith, but rather an everyday man taking an extraordinary God at his word. Noah's faith persisted. Third, Noah's faith condemned. Noah's faith condemned. The latter part of Hebrews 11:7 states, "By this 
he condemned the world. Here's a quick grammar nerd lesson for you. My favorites, right? When you have a relative pronoun like the word this, you have to determine the noun which serves as the antecedent for that pronoun. In Greek, the language of the New Testament, nouns have gender, masculine, feminine, or neuter. The form of the pronoun this here is feminine, meaning it refers to a noun of the same gender. Earlier in the verse, there are three feminine nouns that could serve as the antecedent, either faith, ark, or saving, or salvation. Now, given the broader context and construction of Hebrews 11, most commentators agree that the likely antecedent is the word faith. And if you're reading in, say, the NIV or the New Living Translation, they went ahead and did some of the work for you and just put the word faith in there. So the text is saying, by faith, Noah condemned the world. But what does that mean? By faith, he condemned the world. Well, first, Noah preached a message of judgment, bringing condemnation on those who heard his message. While the Genesis account does not record the specifics of Noah's preaching, Peter affirms that Noah was called by God to both build the ark and share a message of God's judgment. As part of a greater argument about God's ability to rescue the faithful from trials, Peter, in 2 Peter 2.5, calls Noah a preacher or a herald of righteousness. The text says, 2 Peter 2.5, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. In spite of Noah's preaching, the people refused to listen and therefore were unprepared when the floodwaters came. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 37 through 39, Jesus compared his future return to the days of Noah because people would not listen to the truth of the gospel just as they didn't listen to Noah's message of coming judgment. Everyone was going about their business as usual with no thought of the fate they were about to meet. But beyond his preaching, Noah's faith-filled obedience brought condemnation. His faith-filled obedience brought condemnation. Here was a lone man surrounded by depravity and rebellion, choosing to believe God's words and doing what everyone else thought was insane building an enormous boat to house his family and a bunch of animals in preparation for a flood that no one else believed was coming. Noah's faith stood in such stark contrast to his surroundings that it served to highlight how far from God the people really were. Commentator Leon Morris explains how Noah's faith was a condemnation to the people of his day. Morris wrote, Noah's faith in action was a condemnation of the men of his day who failed to respond to the example of that godly man and presumably to the reasons he gave for his conduct. Noah must have told them why he was doing such an extraordinary thing as building an ark there on dry land. 
upright conduct will always stand in condemnation of wickedness. Upright conduct will always stand in condemnation of wickedness. While perhaps not this extreme, many of you may know what I'm talking about. Sometimes a believer's life preaches a message of judgment to unbelievers without any words of condemnation ever being spoken. When we live so very differently from the rest of the world, it forces others to face their own sinfulness. Even when we're not actually speaking judgment, they feel judged because the Holy Spirit is seeking to bring conviction of sin into their hearts. Instead of surrendering to the work God wants to do in them, they fight back. And this is exactly the situation Peter describes in 1 Peter 4, verses 3 through 5. And Peter said, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter reminds us not to be surprised by this reaction. Our example of faith and obedience can be a tool God uses to help others face their sin and their need for Jesus. But people don't necessarily want to face those hard truths, so they fight back. And they're really fighting against God. So if you find yourself at school or at work or even in your own families in a situation like this, my encouragement to you is to remain faithful, to pray, to love, and to be sure that the offense the others harbor is because of the cross and not because you're obnoxious or unloving. Noah's faith condemned. And lastly, Noah's faith justified. Noah's faith justified. Hebrews eleven seven concludes by saying that Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. God's design has always been that justification would come by faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so also Noah believed and obeyed God and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Commentators point out that Noah is actually the first person in Scripture to be called righteous. Of course, Noah, like Abraham and the other examples in Hebrews 11, they were commended for a faith that looked ahead to promises that are ours in Christ. But that faith like Noah's, a faith that takes God at his word and acts on it, that's the same kind of faith that we are called to have in Jesus. Upon a review of his past religious zeal and works before his conversion, the apostle Paul determined that all of that past was rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ 
Philippians 3, 8, and 9, Paul said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. On the one hand, lest we be tempted to think that we are good enough on our own to be justified before God, we need to remember that the only way sinful people can become righteous in God's sight is to, by faith, receive what Christ has done on our behalf through his perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross. On the other hand, lest we be tempted to think that we are so sinful that Christ could not possibly forgive us or transform us, we need to remember that as a result of receiving Christ into our lives, if we have done that, if we have received Christ into our lives, when the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his Son. Listen to these words from John MacArthur. All who believe in God are righteous, not always in practice, but always in position. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us by faith, Romans 3.22. The Father sees us as he sees the Son. Do you hear that? The Father sees us as he sees the Son, holy and righteous, because by faith we are in the Son. If we put on colored glasses, everything we look at will appear that color. God looks at believers through the lens of his Son, and he sees us as he sees the Son. Thousands of years before Jesus became incarnate, God looked at Noah and saw the sun because Noah believed God. Noah believed. Noah's faith justified. So as we examine the faith of Noah in Hebrews 11.7, we see that faith that pleases God expresses itself in obedience even when obedience does not make sense from a worldly perspective. We examined four characteristics of Noah's faith. His faith worked. It was obedient with reverent fear to God's commands. It persisted in the face of a long period of waiting and likely opposition. It condemned by standing as a stark contrast to the way others around him were living. And it justified by God declaring over him a righteousness that can only come by faith. Noah was a human just like us, serving an extraordinary God. His faith simply acted in obedience to what God told him. So what about you? Jesus in in his teachings boiled down what it means to love him and be an authentic disciple to simply obeying his commands. Do you have a heart to obey? Even when that obedience won't make sense to the world around you. 
Are you willing to take God at his word and do what he says, even if that means a loss of reputation, a loss of livelihood, a loss of relationships, even a loss of freedom? God may not be asking you to do something as insane as build a massive boat 100 miles inland from an ocean. But God is asking you to put Christ first in your life and live by his values, values that seem like foolishness and insanity to a lost world. If you are struggling with a desire to obey like Noah, ask God for help. He doesn't ask you to do something that he won't also give you what you need to do it. Rely on him and he will empower you by his spirit to obey. Like Enoch, like Noah, walk with God. Like I said earlier, don't don't try harder, believe better. Don't try harder, get closer. Let's pray. Lord, we deeply desire hearts to obey. Hearts that want to say an unconditional yes to you no matter what you ask. And Lord, that's a scary thing to pray. But Lord, we know that that is the kind of faith that you're pleased with. And Lord, we need your help even to do that. So Holy Spirit, do the work of changing us from the inside out. Stretch, expand, grow our faith. And help us, O Lord, to be as close to you as we can possibly be. Thank you for the provisions in the cross of Christ that make all this possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.